All right, good morning again and welcome to Cornerstone. For those of you that are just checking in online or listening online later, welcome to Cornerstone. I'm Pastor Brian Foreman. We would love for you to check in. Best way you can do that is through the app. Let us know that you're here and you can uh, know what's going on at Cornerstone and we can be praying for you. So, Uh, A couple of weeks ago, as I was preparing for uh, the coming year, I put out a little survey for for the church asking you guys to tell me if there was anything in particular that you wanted to hear preached on in the coming year. And honestly, there wasn't a great consensus. There was a lot of different different replies from all over, but there was one thing that got more than one reply. There were a couple that had to do with how we understand some current events, in particular, uh, what we should be thinking about when it comes to the war in Israel. Uh, So the question that we're going to be answering today is, how do we understand and respond to current events in light of the scriptures? And that's an important caveat that uh, I want to present some scriptural concepts and some scriptural basis for how we should be thinking about and how we should be responding to current events. Now, I am not going to get into a deep discussion of prophecy or the last days or anything like that. What I hope to do is give you from my perspective and my understanding of the scriptures some principles that I think will be helpful in understanding that conflict, other conflicts around the world, and may even be applicable to uh, the decisions that we are making as a country as we enter into a presidential election year, and especially the responsibility that we have as New Hampshireites uh, with the first in the nation primary. But this isn't going to be a political uh, talk. It's not going to be a prof- uh, uh, prof- prophecy talk and uh, about eschatology. Uh, it's going to be principles about how we as followers apply the Bible and understand current events in light of the scriptures. And I called today's message, Clear Vision in Murky Waters. That was originally the subtitle. The title was going to be Prophet or Fanatic. Prophet or Fanatic. And uh, so that's the question, I think. That's another question that we're going to be answering today is, uh, should we be prophetic or should we be fanatic? You know, are we fans or are we prophets? And uh, we'll talk a little bit about the difference between that. But I think... um, If you watch football with some people, then you will get a sense of what I'm talking about. If you are around somebody who is a fanatic, you can tell because whenever, for each and every play, if the officials call a foul on your team, it's completely bogus, completely unfounded, ridiculous, those officials are horrible. However, if something happens and you don't get a call that's your way, then obviously, same thing. The officials are corrupt. They are no good. And every, every play, your team is perfectly without fault, never commits any, any penalties. And the other team is always committing penalties and never getting called on it. That's, has anybody ever watched anybody uh, watched football with somebody like that? Okay, so that kind of gives you the idea of what we're talking about. And what, when it comes to 
evaluating what's going on in our world today and looking at things from a, from a scriptural perspective, I think we should be more referees than fans. I think that's what a prophet does, is he doesn't say, what jersey are you wearing? He says, are you in the right or are you in the wrong? Calls, strikes, and balls, calls, penalties, whatever the case may be, based on the facts. So what we're really talking about today, if I had to sum it up in one word, would be this word right here, and that is integrity. Very often when I am preparing for messages one of the questions that I'll ask is myself is, what do I feel most passionate about? Because I find that the people that I love to listen to, it's not so much their style or even the content, it's are they passionate about it? So I know that if I can identify what the aspect of what I'm talking about that I'm passionate about, then that's probably the direction that I should go. And when I asked this question about this message, I I immediately wrote this, which ended up a version of it being the bottom line. And that is, don't bring dishonor to Jesus by what you support or defend. Don't bring dishonor to Jesus by what you support or defend. See, if we become fans, if we become fanatics, then we can kind of lose our reason. And sometimes if we lose our reason, we support things that we wouldn't support in any other circumstance. And therefore, we lose our credibility and integrity. And it's important, you know, we, we believe a lot of crazy things as believers. Have you ever thought about this? We believe that God became flesh. And oh, by the way, how did he do that? Through a virgin becoming pregnant. And we believe that this guy grew up, lived a perfect life, never sinned, and then went to the cross and was killed by expert executioners and three days later came back to life. You know, we believe all of that. And, and there are good reasons for that. And I believe it wholeheartedly and I think you should too. But if you look, if that was the first time you heard it, you would think this guy is crazy. So don't add to the craziness with unnecessary craziness is basically what I'm saying. Don't, by your bad behavior and supporting things that you shouldn't be supporting, defending things that are indefensible, ever bring dishonor to Jesus. We've got a hard enough battle to fight. So not, let's not make it worse. Let's not make it difficult for people to accept the gospel. So here are the three points that I'm gonna work through. Number one, to recognize and reject tribalism to understand Israel as it's described in the scriptures, and then the principle that normal rules apply. And we'll come back to all that. So if you didn't get that, that I never intend for you to get that the first time around. Uh, so we're going to, in the end, this is how we're going to apply it. Ask a question or find an answer, and I'll explain what I mean by that when we get to that point. I'm going to look at two different scriptures as kind of a focus scriptures, although I'm going to pull in uh, stuff from a lot of different places today. Uh, two passages, Romans chapter 9, verses 1 to 16, and Daniel chapter 2, verses 31 to 45. So we'll start with the passage in Romans, and uh, for those of you who are here that were there at the beginning, you'll have seen the Bible Project video on the second part of Romans, where it talks about this. And if you haven't seen that yet, I would suggest that you go back and watch it. Uh, but this is the New Living Translation, Romans chapter 9. With Christ as my witness, 
I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. They are the people of Israel, chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed his glory to them. He made covenants with them and gave them his law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their ancestors, and Christ himself was an Israelite as far as his human nature is concerned. And he is God, the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praises. Amen. Well then, has God failed to fulfill his promises to Israel? No, for not all who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. Being descendants of Abraham doesn't make them truly Abraham's children. For the scriptures say, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Through a- though Abraham had other children too. This means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily children of God. Only the children of the promise are considered to be Abraham's children. For God had promised, I will return about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. This son was our ancestor Isaac. When he married Rebekah, she gave birth to twins. But before they were born, before they had done anything, good or bad, she received a message from God. This message shows that God chooses people according to his own purposes. He calls people, but not according to their good or bad works. She was told, your older son will serve your younger son. In the words of scriptures, I love Jacob, but I rejected Esau. Are we saying then that God was unfair? Of course not. For God said to Moses, I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So it is God who decides to show mercy, and we can neither choose it nor work for it. And now back to Daniel chapter 2, verses 31 to 45. Uh, Now, to set this up, this is Daniel interpreting a dream. In your vision, your majesty, you saw standing before you a huge, shining statue of a man. It was a frightening sight. The head of the statue was made of fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its belly and thighs were bronze. Its legs were iron, and its feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. As you watched, a rock was cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. It struck the feet of iron and clay, smashing them to bits. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. Then the wind blew them away without a trace, like chaff on a threshing floor. But the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. That was the dream. Now, We will tell the king what it means. Your majesty, you are the greatest of kings. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. He has made you ruler over all the inhabited world and has put even the wild animals and birds under your control. You are the head of gold. But after your kingdom comes to an end, another kingdom inferior to yours will rise up to take your place. 
After that kingdom has fallen, yet a third kingdom, represented by bronze, will rise to rule the world. Following that kingdom, there will be a fourth one, as strong as iron. That kingdom will smash and crush all previous empires, just as iron smashes and crushes everything it strikes. The feet and toes you saw were a combination of iron and baked clay, showing that this kingdom will be divided like iron mixed with clay. It will have some of the strength of iron, but while some parts of it will be as strong as iron, other parts will be as weak as clay. This mixture of iron and clay also shows that these kingdoms will try to strengthen themselves by forming alliances with each other through intermarriage, but they will not hold together just as iron and clay do not mix. During the reigns of these kings, of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness and I will, it will stand forever. That is the meaning of the rock cut from the mountain, though not by human hands, that crushed to pieces the statue of iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. The great God was showing the king what will happen in the future. The dream is true and its meaning is certain. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come to your word and seek to live out uh, in faithfulness and fidelity to your word and to you, uh, our lives today, I pray, Lord, that you would give us clarity, that we'd be able to see things through your eyes. I pray, Lord, that you would give us integrity, that we would be people whose words match our actions, actions match our words, and that our beliefs and commitments and allegiances would be in line with who you are and what you want for us. Lord, I freely admit I don't have all the answers, but I know that you do and that you are able to enlighten, to guide, and direct. And so I pray, Lord, that as we look at your word inspired by your Holy Spirit, that you would give insight and wisdom by your Holy Spirit to each of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so again, passionate part of this, that we as the followers of Jesus, let's not bring dishonor to Jesus by what we support or defend. And the first part of that is to recognize and reject tribalism. Well, tribalism, what is that? It's obviously, it's being, having such an allegiance to your tribe, whatever that tribe is and however it's defined, so that you will defend and support even the indefensible and the unsupportable. We don't want to do that. Uh, and so I love this verse. Uh, it's from Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34. Uh, and this is kind of a guiding principle. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Now, I had been familiar with that, but I, it came into prominence in my mind because of a quote from this guy. This is Frederick Douglass, who was a contemporary of Abraham Lincoln, born in slavery, became a free man, and became a noted abolitionist uh, during that time. And this is what he wrote about this, this verse. It's in your growth guide if you want to follow along. I have one great political idea that idea is, is, is an old one. It is widely and generally assented to. Nevertheless, it, was, it is ge very generally trampled upon and disregarded. The best expression of it I have found in the Bible. 
It is in substance, righteousness exalteth a nation, sin is a reproach to any people. This constitutes my politics, the negative and positive of my politics and the whole of my politics. I feel it my duty to do all that in my power to infuse this idea into the public mind that it may speedily be recognized and practiced upon by our people. So again, it's pretty simple. It's what we were talking about. It's calling balls, balls, and strikes, strikes. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. And like Frederick, Frederick Douglass, I hope that we will assent to that. So it's be on the right side. Abraham Lincoln himself, I think, was asked, uh, are, are, do you think God is on our side? And he basically said, I'm much more concerned about being on God's side than whether God is on our side. In other words, that's not how this works, is you get make God a part of your tribe. And we've seen this over and over again in every aspect of politics and beyond, people claiming Jesus as a member of their tribe when Jesus himself refused that steadfastly over and over again. He didn't fit into any of those tribes. He transcended the tribes of his day and I think of our day as well. So that's what we're talking about. Now to illustrate this, I went to an Old Testament prophet and, uh, and no message this week would be complete or adequate if we didn't address one of the biggest aspects of the news of this week, which is, of course, that the Patriots have a new head coach. <laughs> and so as I was preparing to, re- to, to do this message, I ran across, because now Gerard Mayo, that he has been named the head coach of the Patriots, everything that he's said and done in the past and all kinds of clips from the past are coming to light. And this is one that I ran across, and I love it because he talks about Amos, and nobody talks about Amos. So watch this. We're with Sports Spectrum Magazine here on the field of Lucas Oil Stadium, hanging out with the Mayo. Tell us about your faith and your uh, involvement with family and a little bit about football, too. Yeah, you know, it's all about, you know, like, like you said, faith, family, and football in that, in that particular order. Uh, my grandfather was a pastor, so I grew up in the church. Uh, family is huge. You know, like I said, my, my mother, everyone goes to church, and they've always been my rock. So, you know, and football comes next. I put a lot of time into that, so. Do you make it to chapel services sometimes? Uh, sometimes, every week. You know, every week. And, you know, even after we played uh, in the uh, AFC Championship game, we yes. played at 3 o'clock. I made it to church that night. Are you kidding me? Tell me about your faith. What's going on right now? What are you studying in the Bible? What's going on in your faith story right now? Uh, we're talking about Amos right now, to be honest with you. <laughs> He's talking about Amos right now. Who, how, how many times have you asked somebody, what do you say in the Bible? And they said, Amos. Never. That never happens. Now, I didn't know anything about that. I was, I was happy to see he smiles. I've never seen him smile on the sideline recently. So that was pretty good. But, but Amos makes this point about tribalism. And it's kind of interesting. Amos is, of course, one of the minor prophets. Minor not because he's not important, but minor because the book of, that he writes is relatively small. And 
And this is how it starts off. It starts off, this message was given to Amos, a shepherd from the town of Tekoa in Judah. Now, this is important because here we have a prophet who is from Judah. Now, at this time, by this time in, uh, in history, the kingdom had been set up and united under Saul, David, and Solomon. And then after Solomon, it split into a northern kingdom called Israel and a southern kingdom called Judah. And this guy, Amos, is a shepherd in the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. So God gives him a message, and he takes the message and goes to Israel. He's not in his home country, but he's in the neighboring country and, and another uh, country of brothers and sisters, but, but it's a split it's a split kingdom. So uh, then in that next section, it goes through and it lists all of these words from the Lord for these different kingdoms around this area. And so it's basically saying, okay, here's Judah, here's Israel, and we're going to talk about this kingdom and 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 this kingdom. And he has a word from the Lord for all of these kingdoms. And so it starts out, this is what the Lord says. The people of Damascus have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. Now to his original audience, they would have said, yeah, give it to the people of Damascus because Damascus was their enemy. They were always threatening them. And so, so what is what Amos saying? He's saying, look, those people, they are bad people. They're doing bad things and God's not going to let them get away with it. And everybody in Israel is like, yeah, give it to him. And then he goes on and he says, the people of Gaza have sinned. And again, now this is not modern day Gaza, obviously, but it was a part of the, it was one of the surrounding territories. I've sinned again and again. We'll not let them go unpunished. And it's like, everybody's like, yeah, give it to him. God's not going to let Gaza get away with it. And he goes on. The people of Tyre, the people of Edom, the people of Ammon, the people of Moab. All right, keep going. People of Judah. Now, they really liked this because, you know, this was like sibling rivalry because they're in Israel. Their brothers are in Judah. And this guy is from Judah. And he's saying, the people of Judah, they're bad. They're not going to get away with it. They're like, oh, this is great. He's from Judah, and he's dissing on all of his uh, fellow countrymen. They love that. And each time after he says this, he lists a couple of sins. You know, they've done this, they've done this. These people have done this, they've done this. These people have done this, they've done this. And then here's the hook. Here's the twist. Here's the, here's the punchline. The next section, the people of Israel have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. Oh, wait a minute. minute. Exactly right. What is this? And everybody was like, no, I don't like this anymore. And instead of listing just a couple of things, he goes on for the longest time about all the sins of Israel and all the things that they have done and how they're not going to get away with it and God is not going to let them go unpunished. It's like, you're my people, but I got re- to do the right thing. I'm a just God and I can't let sin go unpunished. This isn't tribalism. This is right and wrong. 
Now, this wasn't unique to Amos. Uh, let's, let's bring it into to our setting. The Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth says basically the same thing about the church and people who are outside of the church. He says, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. What's he saying is like, uh, here's, how I would, here's how I would describe it. The people outside who don't follow Jesus I expect them to act like people who don't follow Jesus, right? I mean, I I, I don't expect them to hold, I don't expect to hold them to the same standards. I don't expect them to act like us, do think like us, do like us, because they're not us. They're not following Jesus. And so why are we expecting anything different? So no, we don't, we don't worry about that. God's going to take care of them. But, but for us, Let's, let's, turn the, the, let's turn the mirror. Let's look in the mirror. Let's turn the focus from Judah and Moab and Tyre to Israel and see what's going on here. That's where our responsibility is. We got to take care of our own things. And then Jesus, uh, and then, uh, well, Paul goes on. I'll finish this. God will judge those on the outside, but as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. It's like, don't worry about, God will take care of the people outside. You take care of your own business. You get yourself right. And Jesus even draws the circle even, uh, even tighter and, and says so he points to us as individuals. You all know this passage. It's very famous from the Sermon on the Mount. Hypocrite, first take the beam of wood out of your own eye, and then you will be able to see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. You know, sometimes people don't recognize the humor, but, but, but it's like, okay, I've got a log sticking out of my eye, and I'm going to be like, let me, let me get that speck out of your eye. You know, the people would have been laughing because it's so ridiculous. It's like, draw the circle a little tighter. Take care of your own business. Look yourself in the mirror. He says, first, take the beam of wood out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. So, rejecting tribalism. We don't, you know, we don't overlook sin. We don't... Uh, judge others when we got to take care of ourselves first and we're going to judge rightly not based on what jersey we're wearing or the other person is wearing so don't bring dishonor to jesus by what you support or defend rejecting and recognizing and rejecting tribalism but also to understand israel as it's described in the scriptures so in uh, the calling of Abraham, in Genesis chapter 12, it says, I will, God is speaking to Abraham, and he says, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. So there is a blessing that covers Abraham and his descendants. Um, however, as the video in Romans pointed out, and we'll look at it in Romans, this is a promise, and there are children of the promise, and it doesn't extend to everyone universally it's i'm going to i'm going to watch over you i'm going to create a people for myself and then the mystery that is revealed in the gospel is that it wasn't just a particular people but god intends to make a people out of all the peoples of the world people from every tribe and every nation and we who follow Jesus are included in that blessing because God has continued to add to the family of Abraham through the gospel. We are adopted into his family. We are wild, 
branches grafted on to the tree, as you saw in that video. So when it comes to understanding the, the nation of Israel as it's con- constituted today, I think we should be at least discerning and a little bit uh, aware so that we're not just being foolish and blindly following just something that we heard. So I think that there are very good reasons to support the nation of Israel, uh, but they're not all rooted in a promise made to Abraham a couple of thousand years ago. So what I'm just asking you to do is to read the scriptures discerningly. So let's look at Romans. This is how the apostle Paul is working this through. He says, it's not as though the word of God has failed because not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Now, what does he mean by that? That is, it's not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but the children of the promise who are considered to be the offspring. And then he uses the examples, right? Through Abraham's descendants, he was choosing a line that would be the, the promised people and the nation through which, the people through which, and by the way, in the scriptures, nation, people, tribes, those are all kind of the same idea, not in the way that we think of it today as nation states, but as peoples, uh, that the children of the promise will be considered to be the offspring. Now, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of the, the mystery, brothers and sisters. And what is the mystery? Whenever he's talking about the gospel as a mystery, he's saying this is something that we didn't understand before, but now we do. We didn't understand before that God was going to use the people of Israel to create a grander, bigger people of God that includes Gentiles and people from all, every nation, including the people who are ethnically Jewish. So, I don't want you to be conceited because, again, what was happening here, and you see this in the first video, was the people uh, in Rome, the Jewish people had been expelled by one emperor and then allowed to come in a little bit later. So you've got the church that was basically only Gentile in Rome and then the church that was mixed of Jews and Gentiles, and he's trying to help them to get along. And so he says, you can't be conceited and say, oh, we, we're now the people of God and you guys have blown it. No, that's not how it works. He goes on to explain, a partial hardening has come, in up, come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. What's he saying there? He's saying, look, the, generally speaking, the people of Israel have rejected the Messiah, Jesus. Not completely, because he says, I'm I'm Jewish, you know, they're the Jewish, they're the Jewish, the church started primarily and almost exclusively of Jews, but now it's expanding. So you can't be conceited and say we're, we're insiders and they're outsiders now. Now, here's why I want you to be discerning about this. Israel, number one was a person, Jacob, and then it was a people, then it was a nation, then it was one of two nations, then it basically didn't exist for a long time, then sometimes Israel is used of the people who are Jewish, the name is applied to people who are Jewish, and now we have in our day and time a nation state called Israel. Those are all very different things, but we use the same word to describe all of them. So let's be a little bit discerning, a little bit aware at least 
of what's going on there. Again, I'm not saying we shouldn't support Israel. I think there are very good reasons to do so, but they're not all rooted in scripture. So, and then he goes on to say, and this is the one that is a little bit confusing, in, and in this way, what? Let's go back. Partial hardening is coming upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Some people are rejecting, but that has made it an opportunity for Gentiles, for the, for the nation, for the people of God to expand. And that's going to continue to expand until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, till we're full of people from every nation and every tribe. And then he says, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. Now, what is, what, what, in what way is he using the word Israel there? It's a good question. Does he mean the people of the promise that includes people from every nation and tribe? Is he talking about just the people of Israel and saying there's going to be a time where just like the gospel is wide open and spreading to the nations, that it's going to be wide open and spreading among the Jewish people as well? When is this going to happen? How is it going to happen? And as the video pointed out, we just don't know. It doesn't say. Now, I... I tend to think that it's either one of two options that he's, when, he, when he says all Israel. He's saying not everybody who was born in that line is a part of Israel the, as the people of God. It's now expanded, and the mystery is that everybody's included. So might he be talking about everybody that's going to be a part of the people of God from every nation, tribe, and tongue is going to be included. We don't have to worry about that. Maybe he is talking about ethnic Israel. Now, is he saying that every single person who was born Jewish, born into the line of Israel, is going to be a part of the people of God? That's obviously not the case. But maybe in the same way that the gospel was opened up wide to the peoples of the world, the Gentile peoples, every tribe and every nation, that there will be a day where, it, where it'll be wide open to the people of Israel, and they're going to rush in as well. Maybe that's what it means as well. But it le- at least let's be discerning. Jesus, the apostles, all talked about not just, it, it, you know, it's just simply not, just like being born into a church family does not make you a follower of Jesus. Being born into the people of Israel does not make you a part of the covenant people. Jesus and John the Baptist said the same thing. This is John the Baptist. Prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. He's baptizing people for repentance. And he's saying, look, this is how it happens. You, you got to repent. Yeah, you're, you're, you're children of Abraham, but that doesn't exclude you from the necessity of repenting. He says, don't just say to each other, we're safe for we're descendants of Abraham. This means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. And then Jesus did the same thing in encountering opposition. They said, our father is Abraham. In other words, we're okay. We're the insiders. Who do you think you are? No, Jesus replied, for if you were really the children of Abraham, you would follow his example. Children, to be a child of someone is to say, I'm like that person. And he was saying, you're nothing like your father, Abraham. You're of your father, the devil is what he goes on to say. Okay, so let's wrap this up. You don't bring dishonor to Jesus by what you support or defend. So let's use discernment. Let's not, let's not debase ourselves by what we support or defend. 
recognize and reject tribalism. Understand Israel as it's described in the scripture, which is nuanced and is varied. And then normal rules apply. Normal rules apply. What do I mean by that? Act like a legitimate judge. Remember the the picture of justice? The, The statue of justice is always pictured holding a scale with a blindfold across her eyes. When you are evaluating something, look at it as a prophet. What did the prophets do? They came into a situation and they weren't worried about tribes or what jersey you were wearing. They were said, this is right and this is wrong. This is what you should support and this is what you should reject. They had integrity. They had impartiality. They stood up for what was right. And I think this is summed up beautifully in another of the minor prophets. This is a very famous passage from Micah. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. I put a more extended version of this. I think it's worth reading in your growth guide as well. From the message translation, this verse and the verse before it. How can I stand up before God? And show proper respect to the high God. What does he require of us? Should I bring armloads of offerings topped off with yearly yearling calves? Would God be impressed with thousands of rams, with buckets and barrels of olive oils? These were all different kinds of offerings that they would offer. Would he be moved if I sacrificed my firstborn child? Some other surrounding religions, this was the ultimate sign of sacrifice and commitment, my precious baby to cancel my sin. Of course, God rejected that. And he says, but look, it's really simple. He's already made it plain how to live, what to do, what God is looking for in men and women. It's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love and don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. So, as we go forward, as we evaluate, as we decide what to support, who to vote for, all of these kinds of things, let's have integrity. Let's bring glory and honor to Christ by what we are doing and not bring dishonor to Jesus by what we support and defend, identifying, recognizing, and rejecting tribalism, understanding Israel as it's described in the scripture, and just applying the normal rules. So, ask yourself questions. You know, is this, is this something that I'm going to be proud of? How would I explain this to my children or my grandchildren? What I've done and what I've supported and how I'm, when I'm interacting with people online, would I say something like that if they were sitting right in front of me and, and we were having a face-to-face conversation? Uh, just think about it from that kind of perspective. And maybe do a little research as well. I've given you a link at the bottom of your growth guide to a couple of articles that you can explore these topics a little bit further. I think it's good for us as believers to not just go with what we've heard and you know, following what's showing up in our mailboxes these days. Look just a little bit more deeply. Do a little bit of research. Think a little bit deeply examine the scriptures, surround, just immerse yourself in the scriptures through life journaling. And then as you do that, you're going to have the perspective. I'm always praying, God, let me see things through your eyes. I want to see things through his eyes, not through my eyes, not through the tribe that I belong to. I, I want to see things as God sees them. And I want to have integrity and I want to bring honor and glory to God by the things that I say, do, 
support, and defend. Let's be that kind of people. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity, and I pray, Lord, that you would use your word and your spirit to speak to us, to guide us and direct us. We surrender to you. We want to be filled by your Holy Spirit, and we want to be led by you, and we want to bring glory and honor to you. Show us how to do that day in and day out in every aspect of our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.